In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Absolve me, Abuna. I don't see where you are. Oh, there you are. <laughs> so we all know that wonderful and famous song from our childhood. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Where? <laughs> and it's such a beautiful song in our childhood, right? It's such a beautiful song when we are kids. Um, and I dare to say, I don't know if the mic is loud enough. I dare to say that maybe it's a lot easier to sing this song when we are kids than it is when we are in our 20s, 30s, 40s, um, growing, yes, in this world, in this life, older, and uh, growing in our responsibilities, and growing or, or um, having many responsibilities in our life, and many struggles, and many, um, many things that just come at us. And so that song that we used to sing in our childhood becomes um, a distant memory. We could still sing it, but sometimes we may not no longer believe it, right? We may no longer believe it when we sing it or when we hear, um, in my case, hearing my own kids sing it. And then sometimes we question, you know, do I really have that joy? Do I really have that joy? And so the, the uh, title for the third lecture is Obstacles in Achieving Joy. What are those obstacles? And we touched on many of it last night when we had this kind of, you know, what are the questions you're coming with in regards to this great topic of rejoicing and of joy. Um, and so we all, and as Abuna Mark mentioned, we all know the problem. We all know it exists. We all know it's there. But how can I, at least here on this stage right now, speak to you about something that we all are at times struggling with and, and sometimes um, unable to see past. And so in order for us to do this, first we need to identify what are those obstacles in my life. And of course, if you ask this to yourself silently, personally, you, you will come up with many things. So the most important thing first to do is self-evaluation. You have to come sit with yourself and ask yourself, what are those obstacles of understanding or, or achieving um, joy? What prevents me from that? What prevents me from attaining that relationship with Christ, who is joy himself, and getting to that point? And so a great reference for this, and I know many of you know, and that's why I'm mentioning it, is the prodigal son when he came to himself. And oftentimes we focus on his repentance, but we don't really focus on the fact that this self-realization was a moment of truth for him. This moment where he's in the pigsty and he realizes where he was versus where he is now is a truth, as opposed to where he was at his father's house and where he wanted to be, which was a falsity. Do you get the difference? Where when he was at his father's house and everything was taken for granted, he wanted something better. And when he finally thought he can achieve it, when he inherited his father's wealth way before he died, although inheritance only comes after death, when he killed off his dad in order to receive this inheritance, 
and he went and he splurged and he did whatever he had to do, he came to the reality that what he was in was the falsity and the truth was really where he was, where he was at way before. And so this story that we sang in our childhood becomes also maybe a mirror of that story of the prodigal son. That although right now I may not believe that I've had that joy, 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 joy in my heart when I was a kid, but the truth is I did have it when I was a kid. And for some reason, maybe I've lost my way, maybe I've lost it. I need to figure out how to bring it back about. So in order for us to, again, start in this um, realization or this self-evaluation, I want us to start at the end. The beautiful thing about confession is we are always talking about the sins that I've committed. I say beautiful because for me as a priest, it's a beautiful thing to see. When, when you sit with someone and they come and they say, I need absolution for X, Y, and Z. It's an end, right? The reality is that sin is that end. Sin is the final product of what was the cause of it. So what we need to do is recognize the sin, whatever that is, because sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what takes the joy away from us. But at the same time, the focus isn't the sin. At the same time, you know what the focus is? It's the symptoms to the sin. If I were to go to the physician and I would say, I'm sick with X, Y, and Z disease, the physician will say, well, what are your symptoms? And the, and the doctor will say, I need to treat those symptoms in order to prevent the disease. This is the reality also with sin. What are those symptoms that lead us to sin? This truth is where, or this self-evaluation of that question is where we could start to kind of find answers. Because believe me, if we focus just on the sin, we'll never resolve it. We have to fix those symptoms. And so Abuna did a great job at mentioning many of those end, end products of sin. We went through binge watching or addiction we mentioned pornography and sex. We mentioned drugs under the umbrella of addiction. But then there are things, these are the most obvious, and even um, we sometimes speak of the most extreme cases, and we forget the things that are actually pretty subtle, of me not loving others, but not admitting to it, of me maybe being indifferent to life and, and the things that come our way, and who cares? These subtle things are also sins in themselves and are also things that prevent us from having these joys. What about lacking commitment or stimulation in terms of my friends or um, someone that may be a potential spouse in the future? that I can maybe go out on a date or two or three, but the commitment is just not there. Or the will to try and to thrive in this relationship doesn't exist. Why? What is the reason behind this? And the more we ask why, the more, again, we will have to kind of peel away at these reasons. The more we ask why, the more we will realize 
what it was that kind of led us down this path. And the more we're able to find that route, and I know in, in the corporate world uh, with HR, they look for the root cause analysis and such. What is the root cause analysis of my sin? Why am I loveless? Why am I indifferent? Why, do I, why am I addicted to this or to that? We also tend to build walls, and I'm very, I love speaking about walls, because, <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. No politics, no politics. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll, I'll fix it, I'll fix it, I'll fix it. <laughs> having walls, having walls, someone's complaining about the microphone. Having walls is different than having boundaries, and it's different than having gateways. And it's so critical, let me turn this one up. And it's so critical for us to understand the difference between all of them. Because with walls we build, we actually separate ourselves from the outside world, from others, from family, from those that we love, and those that love us. Having boundaries, at least we know our limits but it doesn't kind of keep people out. It allows for give and take. And having gateways allows us sometimes in our own vulnerability to let people in. And it's so critical to sometimes have to let people in. Because also when we let people in, we're able to share a little bit of ourselves in this process. And sometimes when we let people in, those people can help us with these obstacles. But if we try to do it alone, it's impossible. And I say this simply because if we're trying to reach joy alone, we will never reach it. And this is the reality of these obstacles. If we cannot recognize that they exist, we will never reach that point. And we will always ask that question, why don't I have joy in my life? Why isn't it in my heart? These kids, they have no idea in 20 years how they're going to be. But the reality is, we really need to self-assess and self-evaluate. If we look at addiction as an example, the question is, well, why? Why do I reach that point? And for some, it is a need for fulfillment of something, whether it's a drive or a um, uh, high or a, a stimulant of sorts or um, um, anything that may um, make them forget a certain pain in their life. I know we mentioned on suicide very briefly earlier. Suicide is a byproduct of despair and of, of pain and of suffering and of guilt. And it becomes this kind of stepping stone to many things. And yes, in mental illness, but also in the most normal of cases. And we see amazing and brilliant people in our lives, whether famous or, or not famous. But there is something missing that leads them to this path. And it's a scary statistic to think for every one who commits suicide, there's 10 that attempted. It's a very scary statistic. Because in reality, it means we know many of those, maybe without our own knowledge. Maybe, again, we haven't crossed that 
gateway or boundary or haven't been able to break through that wall. And the truth is with suicide, and this is for anyone that is suffering with this point um, or suffering with this um, problem, and I say the word, word problem lightly, I don't mean to, um, it's, a, it's a devastating thing to struggle with, but being lonely does not mean you are alone. It's one of those falsities again. It's one of those things that we think is a truth, but it's false. Being lonely does not mean you're alone. And the reality, again, with those that struggle with these thoughts is that they think they're alone. And I'm certain that for every one person who is struggling with suicide, there's at least 10 that are willing to come to their rescue. So I want us to keep that in mind. Um, I'm going to put pornography and sex also under the same umbrella as addiction um, in the need for fulfillment. But how about being loveless or indifferent? What was the cause of that? And oftentimes, sometimes we have to dig really deep because it could be a pain in our lives in our childhood. Or it could be a pain in our lives of someone that hurt us in our younger years or maybe not too long ago. And we never quite came to closure with that hurt. But all of these things separate us. They separate us from the love of Christ in knowing and being a, 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 a certain that he, his love is all I need. It separates us from that joy that is constant, that is ongoing, that even though devastation, disaster can happen outside of, of me, that that joy in my heart can sustain me through. And what do I need to overcome it? What do I need to overcome these obstacles? I'd love to open it um, for, uh, as a forum, but right now is the time for processing. The first thing is to distance yourself from these triggers. And I prefer to, to make it easier. It's a noun. It could be a person, it could be a place, or it could be a thing. Right? It could be a person in having someone who is toxic in your life. It could be someone who is very, a great example is Adam and Eve and the serpent. Very conniving, but very smooth in his conversations with Eve, and yet was able to devastate the world ahead. And of course we know through devastation, or through this devastation of the fall of man, Christ came to conquer and to overcome that smoothness and that conniving serpent. So distancing yourself from those triggers, identifying those triggers, the person who is toxic, the place, if it's, a, if it's a place of toxicity, and I say place simply because sometimes we may not realize it, but there are certain places that we may go to, and again, there's a subtle attack on our soul to, to rid us of any sort of joy, to make us cling to things that are maybe fulfilling temporarily, but never lasting. Because if you have to go back to the same place tomorrow, then it wasn't as fulfilling or it wasn't as sustaining as 
maybe you thought it would be. <laughs> Let me finish and then... Um, and what about if it's a thing? Um, substance abuse is a, is a big deal. And at least in our community and beyond, I mean, we see it every day in media, um, our younger generation is, is dealt a very heavy blow with substance abuse. They, and they're getting younger and younger and younger. And I'm sure we know many people that are, that are um, affected by substance abuse. And it could be from the most simple to the most um, heavy of substances. And I'm not pinpointing specific drugs simply because it's no longer about the drugs. It's about many, many, many things that are um, affecting us and taking away from our joy in this world. So remember, distance yourself from the trigger. And the trigger is not necessarily a person, but it could be a person, a place, or a thing. Two, seek out resources. The, that point of reaching out to seek help is a blow maybe on our pride, but it's one of the most life-saving things you could do for yourself. And it's as simple as simply just calling, if it's a parent, if it's a friend, if it's um, a counselor, if it's a priest, there is no restriction in terms of who to reach out for. Of course, sometimes we think that the church only wants us to reach out to a priest. That's far from the truth. You seek out to whoever can help you. And the church has to be incorporated because also the church is worried about your own salvation. That's the truth and that's the reality. But seek professional help if there is some sort of addiction, substance abuse, um, despair, guilt, um, things that can um, be detrimental to you. Um, three, gain perspective. Going back again to understanding the difference of where you are and where you are headed. And sometimes where you are is very telling of where you will be where where you are headed or where you'll, you will be going. And so if you ask that question and you answer both questions and you don't want to make a move or you're not making a move, go back to point number two, which is seek out the necessary help. Because if you can't do it alone, you won't be able to get out of that bind that you're in. Because I think we could all answer where we're headed, knowing where we are. And we know where we would like to be. But if we can't make changes and we can't make moves, we need to seek out that help. Four, evaluate the obstacle, which goes back to the root cause analysis and such. Five, stay focused and committed. St. Paul in Philippians speaks of pressing onward, pushing forward, continuing in this race, this race of life, all the way to salvation, all the way to to Christ himself, to heaven. Stay focused and committed. Keep pressing forward. And finally, understand and believe that you are not alone. 
And what I mean by that, not that others are struggling in the same struggles. Yes, this is a reality, and this is very empathetic, empathetic of us to think of, that yes, I can get a support group and such, but you are not alone in your walk. The, the Christ that is in you is the Christ that is beside you. And he will see you through whatever struggle you're going through. This is the truth and this is the reality. But then I'm thinking ideals, right? I'm speaking of the ideals. But I also want us to speak of the realities. Because just like Adam and Eve had the serpent at the garden, so do we have the serpent in, in our modern-day garden, per se, right? In Proverbs chapter 16, 27 to 29, it says, Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Idle lips are his mouthpiece. An evil man sows strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Wickedness loves company and leads others into sin. And this influence of the devil or the serpent in our life can alter your mind, can alter your speech, and can alter your actions. This is the reality. If we live our life thinking that the devil doesn't exist, then we're living a lie. And if we think that his power is powerless, it's a lie if we think that we're not responding in his in his liking. If we are idle with our hands, because again, it, this um, Proverbs reference is actually consolidated into a quote that says, idleness is the devil's workshop. That in your idleness, he will lead you to sin, because you're not busy. And this is always the, the wisdom of the monks, that in their idleness, they have to seek out work in order not to sin. They have to constantly be working, constantly be um, using their minds, their hands, in order for them not to have their minds wander. But the re also the reality is that people in our lives also are not perfect. And we know that also for a, very, for, uh, for a fact. Which means what? Which means sometimes if I'm seeking advice or help from someone who's imperfect, then I will only be disappointed when they fail me. And the truth is, it should make us all the more forgiving, or all the more, again, empathetic of knowing that just like them, we are in this common race, this common place, where we are seeking out certain goals, um, trying to attain certain um, uh, uh, goals, certain, trying to attain um, certain um, accomplishments and, and overcomings. In Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 2 to 7, it's interesting that St. Paul mentions this. He speaks about two women by the name of Eudexia, Eudea and Syntyche. And he says, I implore Judea and I implore Syntyche to be of the same, uh, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers 
whose names are in the Book of Life. Judea and Sintiki, it is known, but we don't know why. It is known that those two um, servants and those two women had some sort of conflict, that they had some sort of strife. So although they are working in this um, uh, work um, and labor of, of God, that they too had some conflict that they had to overcome. And I mentioned them too simply because, again, of the truth and the reality of the names mentioned are there for purpose and for reason. That, again, the same persons that were written about 2,000 years ago are of the same mindset in our struggles here today. Maybe a little different. Of course, they didn't have Netflix and Amazon Prime and all that, but they had their own um, 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 issues. They had their own egos, and they had their own shortcomings. But he continues and he says, Rejoice always in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known all to men. The Lord is at hand. And finally, my favorite verse always is to be anxious for nothing. That in this life, this anxiety that, that, that we are always dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis of, am I going to get the job? Am I going to get the promotion? Is my boss going to fire me? They're active and, and, and true anxieties that we have. But in every, everything by prayer and supplication, and why pray? The reality is St. Paul is telling us to pray because, I mean, if you're praying to a wall, nothing will happen. But he's not telling you in prayer and supplication because you're praying to a wall. He's telling you in prayer and supplication because you're praying to a loving God. You're praying to someone who will respond. That in patience, and as we heard in the gospel this morning, a woman who is in labor, after giving birth to the child, forgets all about those pains that existed. My wife will think otherwise, but, um, and she'll remind me of it. But, but again, the joy of what's to come is far greater than the suffering that exists at present. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your, and thanksgiving is not thanksgiving to the good or for the good. It's thanksgiving to whatever it is the circumstance we're in currently. Let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guide your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And this guidance is not if you already know the right path. This guidance is if you're on the wrong path, you will be guided to the right path, who is Christ himself. But again, the serpent or the devil is constantly at work. And he will continue to throw accusations at us. And that you're not good enough. And that um, uh, will instill self-doubt. And will instill feelings of fear. Of you really shouldn't walk out, your house, walk out of your house today because you're, you will only sin again. But how can we not walk out with the confidence in Christ. Why would we or why should we believe the liar versus the truth teller who is Christ himself? 
And he'll throw things of, of, of our own self-worth at us that we're not worth anything. Again, the liar. But the, the, the point is to constantly remember that the, that the devil and the serpent is always around. And I'm saying this simply for the, for the, the reality that you are prey. And you are someone who the devil wants to draw down and bring down. Someone who wants to steal that joy from you. Don't think for a moment that that joy isn't in you. That it always existed, and maybe again due to circumstance, and maybe again due to um, uh, certain events or certain um, uh, moments in your life, it's just covered up or just kind of has um, been uh, forgotten for a moment. But the reality is we have to change our perspective. Are we looking at a life where we have failed and we are defeated? Or are we looking at a life that Christ has already won? That victory has already happened for us? There's a quote from uh, the movie Rocky um, that I wanted to mention. And it's uh, Rocky speaking to to one of his, do you know Dory? It's Rocky speaking to one of his, um, he was the mentor to one of his fighters. And he said, nobody is gonna hit you as hard as life. I, I was trying, I couldn't, I couldn't. I can't, I can't, if someone could do the voice, by all means, it's here. <laughs> it was his son? So, yes. And this is when his son wanted actually to abandon him and leave him. Nobody's going to hit you as hard as life. But it ain't how hard you hit. It's, wait, it ain't how hard you can hit. It's how hard you can get hit. And keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. The reality is in this life, yes, we will be attacked. We will have the devil try to steal our joy. But keep moving forward. It's how much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. And the truth and the reality to us who are faithful, winning is not in the ring. Winning is in life, in, in knowing Christ. In knowing that in this life, yes, although temporary, and it is really a vapor, you go to um, uh, a funeral, you see all the tombstones around you, and you see that life is defined as a little dash or hyphen between two years, right? That so-and-so was born in 1920 and died in 1970. And their life gets defined in that little hyphen. And that's why life is such a vapor. But the truth is, again, we live this life not alone. We live with the reality that Christ conquered, that Christ was victorious. And Christ conquering, Christ being victorious, it, it's not just for him, it was for all of us. It was a battle that he fought, it was a war that he fought for the sake of us, for the purpose that he loved us, for the purpose that he loves us, an act of love, not something in the past. And this is the truth and the reality. Focus on the truths. Do not focus on the lies, because it is the lies that lead us 
to the despair. It is the lies that lead us to the loneliness. It is the lies that lead us to a life that is joyless. It is the lies that lead us to a point of, of despair and, and guilt and living in a past that is no longer present. But we live towards the future where Christ will receive us with open arms. And glory be to God forever. Amen.